thinking a little bit about individually, what does God want us to do, but also as a group, as a church, what does it look like for us to be a people that follow Jesus? And how would we communicate to someone who is new to our church, this is what we think, look, uh, this is what we think following Jesus looks like. And so we've been especially focusing in on our mission statement, which is very simple. Love God, love others. We want to communicate to the people around us that we love this God who made us, who gave us life, who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And because of that, because of God's great love for us seen in Jesus, we love the people around us. And we want to communicate to them the message of Jesus, that Jesus died for them and offers them eternal life. Now, that's great, but as we've said throughout this series, we can have all kinds of goals. We can have a mission statement, some stuff that sounds really neat, but unless we develop a strategy, then much of that doesn't really matter. So what's our strategy? How do we do this in our community? And we're communicating that in three simple words, gather, grow, and go. We talked about the first of those last week. We talked about gathering each Sunday morning for worship, gathering in the name of Jesus because we are God's people and allowing God to shape us as a people because we've come together, hearing from God's word and allowing us to, to praise God in song and gathering around the table and allowing all those things to form us, to remind us that above all else, above all the things that we do in the world and the things that might form our identities, above all else, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so in that, our gathering changes us. <clears throat> it shapes us. This week, I want us to think about growing. And what does that look like? How do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? And how do we communicate that to the people around us? Now, I think for some of us, this can be a little bit of a challenge, right? I mean, we know somehow this relationship ought to grow. It ought not just to be stagnant. It ought not just to be sort of there and we hope maybe it gets a little bit better, but it really doesn't matter that much to us. In fact, we know that we want this to develop over time. And my guess is that some people in the room have even tried some things that would help. And some have been successful and you feel like your relationship with Jesus is stronger today than it ever has been. But I bet there's some in the room as well who are thinking, you know, I've tried some things that ought to help me grow in my relationship with Jesus, but honestly, I don't feel that much better now than I did before. And so we hear, you know, you ought to study Scripture, and we should. And in fact, some people have started studying Scripture, maybe reading through Scripture, and as we've said before, you start at the beginning, and, and some of it's really interesting, especially Genesis and maybe Exodus, and then we get a little bit lost, or we try the prophets, and we're trying to figure out what they're talking about and, and who they're talking about, and we're just not sure. And so Scripture doesn't feel like it's transforming us the way that we want it to. Well, I want us to think about that a little bit in a few minutes and how Scripture should transform us and how it should shape us, again, into the people that God wants us to be. And maybe you've tried to pray, but you've not known exactly what to pray about or what kind of prayer really pleases God. What does it God expect from us in prayer? Here's the thing. I think for many of us, the way that we want this to work is, well, maybe we just know how to do this, right? I mean, it's just part of our DNA that I know how to develop a relationship with God. And I can do all this on my own and I don't have to ask anybody else. But the truth is, most of us are not born knowing how to do that. 
Or maybe we'd like to be able to watch a quick YouTube video, right? When something's broke at our house, that's what I do. I get on YouTube and see how somebody else has fixed it, and then I usually fail at that and have to call somebody and repair what I made worse. But that's how we want to do it, right? We sort of, we're an individualistic kind of culture. We like to solve things on our own. We don't necessarily want to ask for help, and so, you know, we wish we could just sort of fix this ourselves. Solve the problems. Know how to do it. But the truth is, for many of us, we don't know exactly what to do to develop a relationship with God. Today I want us to think about the role that other people play in this. And the role that the church plays in this. And to get at that, we're going to do what we've been doing. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, this great passage that tells us about the beginning of the church and the day of Pentecost. You have, uh, real quickly, a review. If you haven't been with us, you got all these people that were there when Jesus died on Passover. A few weeks later, Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. And on Pentecost, another Jewish holiday, they're still gathered there in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God is at work. Peter preaches and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus on that day. So it's the birth of the church. And then in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we have this snapshot into the life of the early church. These Christians who are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Now some of them had never done that before. We've got the apostles who are leading and they've been following Jesus for three years, okay? They've heard what Jesus said. They've seen him in action. Well, you've got lots of people that just were not there. They're from other places, or they weren't following Jesus that long. So you've got a big group of people who are trying to understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it gives us this picture of what they did to try to learn to follow Jesus. And today I want us to look at two verses. It's Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43. It says they, and this is the, the, the Christians, okay, the church, the 3,000. They devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Four things, right? Okay. What are the four most important things the church could do at the beginning? Here they are. Now, you know, I think it's probably true that the church was doing other stuff, right? It's not that these are the only four things that they are doing, but as Luke, who wrote this book, looks back on the life of the early church, what he sees that is most important for us to hear are these four things, okay? These four things that were forming the life of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, okay, what does that mean? Why didn't they just have a Bible study, right? I mean, that's what we do. Well, most of us recognize that this is so early in the life of the church that none of the New Testament is written at this point. Okay? They don't have Gospels. They don't have any letters from Paul. In fact, Paul is not even a Christian at this point. They've got the Old Testament, which certainly points to Jesus, but they don't have any written record of Jesus' life. So who are they dependent on? The apostles. They're dependent on these men who walked with Jesus and saw him perform miracles and heard his teaching. They were there on the mountain that day when Jesus delivered what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
They were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They were there when 5,000 people were fed with just a little bit of food. They saw all that. They heard all that. So these early Christians, many of whom were from other places and had come in for those Jewish festivals, in the midst of that became followers of Jesus. These early Christians are hungry to find out more about this man that they followed. So, if they wanted to grow in their faith, what did they need? One of the things they needed was knowledge. They needed to know more about Jesus. And so they gather together, and I can imagine those 12 men gathering with groups in the temple courts and in individuals' homes, and they're hearing the stories of Jesus, what would eventually become our Gospels. I mean, they heard John, who was there for all of that, and wrote this down for us, telling them about everything that Jesus had done. And remember, the second half of the book of John is all about Jesus' final week. Now think about that. It's only weeks before at this point. And John's telling these stories, fresh in his mind, to these Christians who are hungry to know more about Jesus. They want to hear what Jesus did. They want to hear what Jesus taught. The apostles are telling him, this this is what Jesus expects from you. Here's what he said. This is a story he told, and I want you to hear it so you can know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I can imagine them telling over and over again the story of Jesus last week. The story of the trial, the story of the crucifixion and the burial and that day between Friday and Sunday when they were wondering, what in the world do we do next? And then hearing on Sunday morning that the tomb was empty, telling those stories over and over to communicate to these people who are just exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We don't have those 12 men with us today, do we? So it's hard for us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching in the same way that the early church did. Because we don't have witnesses 2,000 years later of people who actually were with Jesus. But what do we have? You already know the answer. We've got God's Word. We've got the testimony of these men contained in our New Testament. The Gospels. And then Luke tells the story of the early church in the book of Acts. And then later on, when Paul wrote those letters to the early Christians, we find those letters in our New Testament. And so what we have as the apostles' teaching is what the apostles wrote, or what people close to them wrote. And the way that we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is to personally and in groups study it and hear it and allow it to challenge us. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they had a lot of potluck meals and ice cream suppers, right? (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong, those things are probably God-ordained, but I think this word means more than that, right? Fellowship. It's a word that we use in church, but we don't really use that word a lot outside of church. So what is this fellowship that they're talking about? I think if we look at the Greek word and think about how we could translate that, fellowship is a fine and a good word, but it's taken on sort of some connotations that really are, are less than what the word fully means. They're not bad things, but it just doesn't communicate all that the word means. I think if we use the word community, it might be a better word. 
Okay, they, they began to form a community. Not just geographically that they were all close together, but, but they, the, the early Christians began to share life. Why is that? I mean, couldn't they all just be Christians and go back to doing all the things that they'd always done? I mean, once they got the information from the apostles, heard the teachings, heard what Jesus had done, couldn't they just go on their way and be Christians? Well, it seems that these early Christians, and I think this carries through much in the New Testament, recognized that they needed each other. They needed community. We never see that being a Christian in Scripture is sort of to be done in isolation. It's always done with a group of fellow believers. And so these early Christians gathered together. Why? Because, man, most everybody's not a Christian. Even in Jerusalem, most people are not Christians. And as they began maybe to go home to these cities where they're from and then share the message of Jesus, they're a tiny minority. As we talked about last week, they needed to gather to be formed into the people of God. And they needed to be together to grow in their relationship with Jesus. They needed the encouragement that comes from sharing life together. They needed to be challenged. They needed opportunities to have people that they could discuss what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so they shared meals, and they shared in worship, they shared in learning. The early church recognized that fellowship was what, part of what it meant to be a Christian community. And then third, breaking of bread. Now we see that term used down a little further, down in verse 46. If you got your Bible, it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think later in the passage, they're talking about a meal. Okay? Here, this is a little bit more technical language, and it means, I think, simply communion. They gathered together for communion. If they wanted to grow, they recognized that part of what they needed was the Lord's Supper. And maybe in the back of our minds, if we're really honest this morning, what we might say about that is, weren't there more important things to do than take the Lord's Supper? I mean, couldn't they be out helping the poor? Couldn't they be spending more time at the apostles' feet listening to their teaching? Couldn't they do something constructive? Couldn't they do something that would make a difference in the community? Couldn't they challenge each other more? Couldn't, couldn't they be more evangelistic? And I'm sure all those things are good. And they were doing those things. But when Luke wrote down the four things that the early church devoted themselves to, one of those is communion. Why? Why was it so important? I believe it's because the early church and, and, and us, we, we need it. We need communion. Because each week when we take communion, we are reminded in a physical Visual, use every sense we've got, right? All the things, all the ways that we can be reminded communion does this, it reminds us of what Jesus has done. That Jesus gave his body and his blood for us. And we think, well, it's just a symbol, right? Is it really that important? 
And it's an analogy I've used. I used it in a Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've used it in messages before. When we say just assemble, we usually get ourselves in trouble. Because if we had a, a flag of the United States up here today, and I said, well, I think I'm just going to use that as a mat to walk on during the sermon, nobody in the room would say, well, that's fine. It's, it's just a symbol, right? No. Everyone would be offended by that. Because a symbol stands for something else. It represents that reality. And when we take communion, it is a symbol, but it's not just a symbol. It is us, the people of God, gathered and participating in what Jesus did on the cross. It's one more of those things that forms us into the people that God has called us to be. It reminds us every week that we are followers of Jesus, this Jesus who gave himself on a cross for us. We are formed because of that singular event in human history where God intervened and interacted with us in real physical human history and died and then was raised to life. It mattered that much to them. I think it should matter that much to us. And then prayer. Prayer. The early church gathered for prayer. They recognized that they needed to talk to God. I'm sure there were individual prayers, right? There were people who were praying in their homes and, and praying to God as they were walking down the street and doing their work and anything else that was to be done. But in this part of the passage, I think we're talking about what the church did together. And one of the things that they did together was pray. They had needs just like we have needs. They were struggling financially, and they were dealing with health crises, and they were probably having marriages and families that were struggling with what does it mean for us? I mean, we've got one person who's a Christian and one who's not. How do we live together now? How do we coexist? And, and what does that look like? And so they prayed. They probably brought their joys together. And they were excited because of what God is doing among them. In the very next verse, we've got the apostles performing miracles and signs. And I can see them being so excited because people were healed, things were done in the name of Jesus Christ. And I can see them asking for God to fill them with his spirit so they could do what God had called them to do. So they could share the message of Jesus with the people around them and their families. God at work. And so we see this glimpse. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. Where that leads me as I read through this is this simple message. We grow best when we grow together. You know, some of us want this to be sort of, it's, it's up to me. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to be a good Christian by myself. We grow best when we do this together. You see, we need each other. We need the family of God. We need the community of faith. And, and that leaves us with decisions that we have to make. You know, we challenge one another. And there are people in the room who have spent a lot of years studying Scripture. And there are some passages that I've spent a lot of time with, and there are some passages that I may have taught once or twice or maybe never at all. 
But what I've learned is even some of those passage that, passages that I've studied the most, when I sit down with other Christians, you know what, they're going to, at least they're going to ask a question that I've never thought about. And it's going to force me to rethink what I understand about that passage. And they might have an insight that I've never thought about as well. It's going to make me think through what I've assumed to be true about that passage, maybe for many years. We can help one another grow even as we study Scripture. We need times when we study Scripture together. It challenges us to be together. We need the encouragement that comes from Christian community. Living the Christian life in the first century was not easy. In some ways, we have it easier than they did. Okay? But that doesn't mean it's always easy. That doesn't mean we're never challenged in our faith. That doesn't mean we never have questions and doubts. And so we need each other to have encouragement. And we need people to help us sometimes when we're headed in the wrong direction. That's not fun. It's not comfortable for somebody to say, hey, listen, you need to think about where you're going. But we need it. And so we grow best when we grow together. It means we need times together to grow. We use small groups as an opportunity for us to do that. We're sort of in the midst of a small group season right now as we work through these messages together in small groups during the week. Maybe you haven't thought about getting in, involved in a small group. We'd love for you to do that. We've got information on how you can, but that's one way we do it. We have some classes that meet on Sunday morning. We have Bible studies that meet during the week. We have groups that are more about service, and that's okay too. We need all of these things because all of them Bind us together and help us to grow as Christians. Help us develop relationships that can carry us through. You see, it boils down to what the early church did. That word fellowship, that word community, they shared life. And we need people to share our lives with. People of faith. People that will walk with us on a journey that's sometimes really easy and sometimes really difficult. So, I ask you, maybe you haven't made a commitment to share this Christian walk. You sort of thought, I'll do this on my own. I'll figure it out myself. Well, we have some personal responsibilities, right? I mean, we are called to study God's Word ourselves and pray ourselves. Don't give up those personal responsibilities. But we need each other, too. So I encourage you to find a group we can point you to one direction or another if you look in the bulletin or if you talk to one of us on the staff, we'd be glad to help you with that. But find some Christians that you can walk this walk with, people that will encourage you and help you to grow. Let's pray together. God, we want to we do this together because we know that we're so much better together than we are as individuals. So for some of us, that means we have to take a step that maybe we're a little afraid of. It's hard to do. But we pray you'll give us the courage to reach out and allow others to walk with us. For some, that means we need to lead more. Because we've been doing this for many years and it's time to take a step where we're helping others along this journey. We just ask that you would bind us together, create community within us as a church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If in the midst of this series you've made the decision, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we'd love for you to let us know about that, either during this song or after the service. We'd love to see you baptized into Christ, or maybe as a baptized believer, you want to be a member of our church.
you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand again.